observation. Oh, thank you. Um, and that is this, that to have a deep and connected relationship, to have a relationship that is warm, to have a relationship that is secure, to have a relationship that is fulfilling, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. It requires intentional effort. My wife and I were at a marriage retreat a few weeks ago, and the way they put it at this marriage retreat, really loved it, the way that they said was, you're either moving intentionally toward connection and toward oneness, the biblical concept of marriage, oneness, you're either intentionally moving towards there, or you are drifting drifting towards isolation. It's either one or the other. You're in this continuum. There's no stagnant sea where, where you can just say, oh, we're just in this holding pattern. You're either moving one way or the other. Now, when people are dating, <clears throat> I'm going to get to Thanksgiving in a minute. I am going there. Um, but when people are dating, you see this intentionality, right? There's this availability that both people have for each other. There's investing generous amounts of time, generous amounts of money, and as a result, there is an enthusiasm, there's a warmth, there's a growing of a relationship. But what often happens in marriages is that when when two people get married, all of those things that they thought were special attributes about their significant other, their special someone— All of those significant attributes that they just celebrated, all of a sudden become expected. Right? There's like a new baseline, you know, where he was like, oh, he's such a gentleman. He opens the door. He's such a hard worker. Wow, she's so expressive. You know, we, we have these wonderful conversations. Now, after, the, after people get married, all of a sudden, that's just the baseline. Of course you're going to work hard. Now come home and do the dishes, too. You know, it's, it's like there's this, <clears throat> there's this expectation that changes. And so um, in this marriage seminar, when they were talking about you're either moving towards oneness or you're drifting towards isolation, towards the end of, of the, the marriage retreat, which let me just say, by the way, this is one of the reasons my, why my wife and I go to marriage seminars. Because so we believe uh, that it's important to do that. Now, <clears throat> let me just give a little disclaimer. Um, my wife and I, our marriage is doing well. We're moving in a good direction. Uh, that's not why we went, but if it wasn't doing well, we'd still go. Like, it's a good thing, just like an, a garden needs weeds pulled in it. Our marriages, they, they need these types of in- attentions, and so one of the things that they gave us to do in this uh, marriage seminar to help encourage this movement, this intentional moving towards oneness, was to write a love letter, and uh, they recognize that there's, there's people out there that are just like, oh yeah, give me the pen and paper, I'm ready to write it down. Other people are like, oh, what am I going to say in that letter? And so uh, they gave us a prompt. Um, I'm probably somewhere in the middle between those two, by the way. Um, but they gave us a prompt and they said, write about the things that you admire and appreciate about your spouse. And so I pulled out my pen and my paper, and I started to write Rosie my love letter. She's not here, by the way, because we're getting over sickness, as you can still hear some heaviness in my, some congestion uh, in my, my voice. Um, and so Rosie and the kids are at home. Just need to make some of these disclaimers. Uh, we're doing well. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm right. right th- praise God, by the way. Praise God. Um, we, 
Yes, we have our ups and downs, just like everyone does. Let me just keep it real, okay? Um, and so anyway, so I'm writing my love letter to my wife, and something started to happen. I noticed something happen inside of me as I'm putting pen to paper, and I'm writing these attributes that I admire, these reasons that I married her for, these things that have made me a better person. I'm starting to write these things down, and something began to take place inside of me. You know what it was? I began to move in my heart towards her. I began to feel a deeper connection with her. I experienced her in a deeper way. Had she changed at all? No. But just in the act of writing down things that I am grateful for towards my wife, writing down those things that I am thankful, those attributes that, that I just want to celebrate and say, I'm so thankful for these things. In just doing that, I experienced a connection, a deeper connection with her. Gratitude deepens connection. If you want to deepen a connection in a relationship in your life, this is one way that is very powerful in doing that. Whether it's your spouse, whether it's your family, your parents, friend. And this is especially true with God. And I'd like to take a look at a passage in Scripture. Um, what I'm doing is I'm setting up a time of sharing in just a, a few minutes here. Um, we're going to call some, some ushers to come forward with microphones. We're going to give you a chance to be able to express your gratitude towards God. Um, but before we do, I'd like to invite you to join me in the Bible in Luke chapter 17. We're going to be starting off with verses 12 and 13. As you're going there, let me just say that this is a story about someone who is far away, who is, f who is like disconnected. Actually, a group of people, but one person in particular the story is going to focus on. Someone who is disconnected from God. Disconnected from God. Far, far away from God. <clears throat> As you may know, in the Bible, there was racism. I mean, I'm just going to say it. Uh, the Jews hated a group of people who were their neighbors called Samaritans. And the Samaritans felt pretty much the same towards the Jews. And this story is about Jews and Samaritans. So there was this, there was this disconnection with there. Just to give, kind of give you an example, before you get to Luke 17, I, th I think it's in Luke chapter 7, actually. But anyway, I, yeah, prior to, I, I actually don't quote me on that. I think it's Luke 9, actually. But anyway, Jesus was on his way from Galilee in the north, traveling by foot, of course, to Jerusalem, about 70-mile journey. And the quickest way to get from Galilee to Jerusalem was to go through the region of Samaria. And so Jesus sent messengers ahead, and these messengers went to Samaria and said, hey, can we find a place for our master? He is coming. And Jesus had good popularity rating among the Samaritans. They liked him. However, when they found out that Jesus was not going to Samaria, that that was not the end of his trip, that he was merely passing through because he was going to the capital city of the Jews, the Samaritans said, forget it, we're not going to let you into our area. And that's the famous story where, where uh, James and John came back and said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven on these people? These were kind of the sentiments between Jews and Samaritans. They were pretty much ready to kill each other. And so for Jesus being a Jew— 
to meet a Samaritan, this, this, there, was a, there was a deep disconnect. Now, in this story, we're going to see an even deeper disconnect. Um, by the way, what, what I just shared with you about Jesus going from, from, from Capernaum, from, from Galilee, down to Jerusalem, that's actually what's taking place. If you look at verse 11, it says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He is going to Jerusalem. He's not going to pay the Samaritan. Samaria is not the end destination of where Jesus is going. And so there is this anger and this hatred that exists between Samaritans and Jews. So that's disconnecting Jesus from the Samaritans. There's another thing that's disconnecting them, and that is sickness. Listen to what it says. Verse 12, as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, verse 13, and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. Have pity on us. The condition of leprosy was basically a living death. The Old Testament laws instructed someone who had leprosy that they were supposed to wear torn clothes, they were not supposed to comb their hair, And they were supposed to, whenever they came around someone, whenever they came near to someone, they were supposed to cover their mouth. And they were supposed to cry out, unclean, unclean. That's where that whole thing comes from. It's an Old Testament law. And so what we read here is, is as Jesus was going into a village, in other words, before he got into the town, there were these people, these people who had been exiled, people who had been cast out of society, people who had been shunned, And they had to live outside of the town. They could not go inside. That's why they're outside. They had to live outside of the town. Now, I can't imagine what this must have been like for someone with leprosy. We're not talking about a time when they could have sent a text message or got on Zoom as much as that, you know, was an annoying thing. Like, we'd much rather meet together in person when we went through this pandemic. These people did not have any connection. They were outside. They did not have any connection with healthy society. And so I can't imagine what that must have been like for them. But we do have an idea. Because in this story, these ten men were not all Jews. And they were not all Samaritans. They were mixed. In other words, the distress of having this sickness of leprosy was so profound that those who were, who were just, they hated each other, were mortal enemies, they became friends. The Jews and Samaritans are like, hey, we all got leprosy. Let's hang together here. Let's encourage each other. That's what's taking place. What it says, in verse, starting with verse 14, we'll continue reading. When Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of, actually, let me, let me stop right there. When Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, he is calling them to audacious faith. Audacious faith. You see, in the, in the Old Testament, the only time that a leper, this is specified, Leviticus 13, the only time that a leper would go and show themselves to the priest is when they saw that they were healed. 
Why would these people go and show themselves to the priest when they clearly had leprosy all over their body? They knew that the Old Testament said the reason for going to show yourself to the priest was that the priest was kind of like quality control when it came to health. And so they would go, the priest would look over their skin they would, and, and, and give a thorough inspection. And the priest would say, either you're healed or no, you need to get back out there. Put your rags back on. Don't, don't comb your hair anymore. Stay outside the city. The priest would make that distinction. And so when Jesus says, go and show yourself to the priest, he's telling them to act as if they are healed. Now, this required great faith, but there's something about Jesus that inspires great faith. He says, go and show yourself to the priest. And they exercise great faith. They go and they show themselves to the priest. Even though they looked at their hands, they saw the spots there. Well, Lord, you said it. And so they go. And this is a story of great faith. But it moves beyond that. Look at what it says in verse 15. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. Notice the volume there. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Someone who should have been exiled. Someone who a Jew should never have talked to, and he never should have talked to a Jew. We have a Jew and a Samaritan coming together. He was a Samaritan. In verse 17, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner. Now let me just make a comment about that word foreigner. It may sound like a little bit harsh, but to our ears. But for Jews, for people who knew the five books of Moses like Jews and Samaritans did, this concept of foreigner was language that invited kindness. It's actually specified in the book of Exodus that God told his people to show kindness towards foreigners, and he says, here's why. Don't forget that you once were foreigners in Egypt. So this word foreigner is an invitation to kindness. It's not, it's not language of exile. It's not a language of exclusion. He says, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, then he said to him, rise and go. Listen to what it says closely. Your faith has made you well. Wait a second. Weren't there nine others that were made well? Weren't there nine others that showed great faith that latched on to Jesus' audacious command? Go and show yourself to the priest. Behave as if you didn't have any leprosy on your body. Paul makes a very interesting statement in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I have faith big enough to move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Those nine had faith big enough to move leprosy off their body as they listened to Jesus' command. But they didn't come back to the source of love. There was one man who it says, Jesus says, your faith has made you well. What is it talking about here? I would argue that this wellness was not merely physical. How could it be? The other nine had already been made well physically. Very interesting, that word that is translated well is a Greek, obviously it's a Greek word, New Testament is written in Greek, it's a Greek word that could also be translated as saved. It's the same word, right, Aliki? Sozo, to save, to heal. Aliki's our resident Greek scholar, thank you. Um, 
It's the same word, to save or to heal. So when Jesus recognizes, what Jesus is saying here is he's recognizing that there has been a healing that is more profound than, the mere, than it's merely skin deep, than mere physical healing. He's saying that a greater healing has taken place. He has experienced a soul healing, that his soul has been made complete. His soul has been made whole. It's a complete healing. Now, how was it that this man could be made well, body, soul, and spirit? What did he do? There's one fundamental thing that he did that the other nine did not do, and that is this. He returned to give thanks. And because he returned to give thanks, he had a connection with the Savior that he never would have been able to have otherwise, and that the others missed out on. If you would like a deep connection with Jesus, may you return to a spirit of thanksgiving. I'd like to give you an opportunity now. We've got our, our ushers here that have their microphones. And I'd like to just open it, us, open it up for us for a time of sharing. I encourage you to share briefly, please, so that people, all, you know, have, as many people as possible have an opportunity. But I want to give you a chance to raise your hand and say something that God has done for you that you would like to return and give thanks for. Something perhaps that's happened in this past week. Something perhaps that has happened this year. Let's, let's take a moment here. We've got a couple of hands. Uh, go ahead. encourage you to just be brief and share, share with, the, with our church family. Thank you. Hang on just a second. Let's get you on here, Pastor Dan. Is that better? Here we go. Okay. <laughs> I'm thankful that the Lord answers prayers. Our daughter walked away from God for 15 years and we just prayed because there was nothing we could say. And we just prayed and prayed until the day God got a hold of her heart and she returned. And I just praise God and thank him for a miracle that I couldn't do anything about. I could just leave it in his hands. Thank you. I'm just very thankful for my life. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for the, for the Thanksgiving, the wonderful Thanksgiving that I had yesterday with Aliki and Nick and his family. Uh, I'm thankful for Joseph Mosley, um, who's taken me under his wing. He's an on-track counselor. And um, I, I was homeless for five years um, here in Medford and strung out on meth. And um, the Lord Jesus saved my life. And uh, I'm so thankful for my life. I'm thankful for everybody. This is the first church that I've ever been a part of in my entire life, and I am just, I am just in awe. I am in total awe. You guys are amazing. You want a, a wonderful church here, and, and, I, and I'm so thankful to be a part of it. Thank you, Joshua. Oh, and I'm, I'm studying now for the spring semester at Pacific Bible College for, uh, for ministry, so wish me luck. <laughs> Thank you. Praise God. Brandon 
Joshua and pray that um, does her part here to praise the Lord. Thank you, Joseph. Got some hands back there as well. Should I stand up? <laughs> However you'd you like. You might not see me. <laughs> I want to thank the Lord, first of all, for his love for all of us and the sacrifice he, he made for us so we can be with him in heaven. And I want especially to thank the Lord for uh, healing my young son, Philip, who was alone in India and got dengue, uh, dengue disease, fever. And I had dozens of people praying for him and he was healed in three days. So I praise the Lord for that. Praise God. These answers to prayer are so encouraging. Hi, my name is Faith. Um, I'm new to this church too, and I'm new to being on my own. And I think God might have a little sense of humor. I prayed for a car so I could get to work and take care of myself. And um, I said, I don't care what it looks like, God, as long as it runs good. Oh, I got the ugliest car you ever seen. Man, it runs good. <laughs> it runs really good. Thank you, God. Amen. <laughs> thank you says thank you for her family yeah thanks for passing that on grandpa we got a hand down here we've got one over there please I'm thankful my wife is still alive we were at the right place at the right time and God took care of us amen thank you John yeah. I'm Robin I am thankful that we are not wearing masks I'm also thankful for the vice principal at Milo that he is healing after severe burns and he was able to go home after about a month. Please, guys. Yeah. I'm also thankful for the gift of healing. Many of you followed the journey of our grandson, Caden. Uh, when he was born, he had very serious congenital heart disease. In fact, when they did the ultrasound, the doctors recommended a therapeutic abortion. They said he would not be viable, he would be retarded. And, um, they chose to go ahead with the pregnancy, which really upset the doctor at the time. And yes, he did have struggles, and he went through two open heart surgeries. But in January, he'll be 14, he skis, he's a straight A student, he bikes, and we just praise God for the fact that we have that miracle. Yeah. Yeah. And a delightful young man to be around. Yeah. yeah. Praise God. All right. Anyone else? We have time for maybe one or two more. I just want to say that I'm thankful for God and that he's got us in his hands. You know, that song, um, he's got the whole world in his hands, has such a deep meaning that we don't have to have the control and God has got it. He'll do things that surprise you, maybe things that you don't want, but I'm just thankful that he's got the control and I don't. I'm also very thankful for music and the blessing that that has in my life and that I see in the church, so. Yes, thank you, thank you. 
I'm thankful for the challenges of life that makes me homesick for heaven. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for that reminder. What a wonderful thing to come together like this as a church family and highlight how God has blessed us in our life and return thanks to him. And though Thanksgiving was just a couple days away and you know it's going to be well, another year until we come around to that holiday. I want to encourage you to not wait, uh, to continue to return to Thanksgiving throughout the year. I know I need that reminder. I know I need that closeness with Jesus, that perspective shift that takes place as, we, uh, as I recognize what God has done for us and as I hear other people doing that as well. So I want to invite you to join me as we continue our lives. Um, may we be intentional about gratitude because that is where we find that close connection with Jesus, and that's where we become whole. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, you've given us so much. Truth be told, you've given us enough for us to just keep on giving thanks and not stopping. God, may we be careful to return words of gratitude to you. I pray that as we get distracted, as we come busy with things, as we lose sight of the good things that you bring into our life and of your goodness, because you are good, I pray that you would remind us to return to a spirit of thanksgiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Happy Sabbath. God bless you.